Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we have a special guest speaker all the way from Chicago, Illinois. Pastor Andy Zivanovich is the senior pastor of New Hope Bible Church in the inner city of Chicago. He has served in the inner city of Chicago for over 25 years. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Andy. But uh, let's take some time to get in the Word of God this morning. Uh, That's my passion more than anything else, is opening up and breaking open the Word of God and communicating it to the people of God. Amen. This morning we want to talk about the cost of being a Christ follower. And we live in a culture that's really jacked up, if you can't tell. A culture that is rethinking everything that is righteous, godly, and correct. We even have churches and colleges and individuals rethinking moral issues when God's word is very clear and straightforward. The word of God don't bend like we bend. That's usually the result of our carnality. But we're going to look at the word of God this morning. I really want to challenge you in Matthew 8 and several other passages What does it really mean to be a Christ follower? I'm telling you, we have within our hands this morning the inerrant and the infallible Word of God, which never changes. Amen? And because of that, we can trust it with every area of our heart, our life, our soul, our families, our all. And yet there's such an attack today on the Word of God and its authority and what it says that people are rethinking the whole homosexual issue. Well, is that what the... Yeah, the Bible's pretty clear. Yes, we're to be very gracious and compassionate and kind and loving, but the Bible says the abomination straight out, right? There's no way to justify that, twist the Scripture, whatever you want to do. It's wrong. Amen? There's a lot of other issues, and I could really meddle here that people are rethinking and changing when the Word of God is very clear, and it's very clear when you exegete the Scripture, it becomes very clear. But we try to pander to the culture. The culture is really forcing us and pressuring us to give in to them and to their values and their, I would say their morals, but the world doesn't have any morals. That's the problem. And they want us to be like them. You and I are not to be like them. Amen? We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are to make a difference in this place in which we live. Amen? I love living in Chicago. Man, it's a hellhole. But man, Jesus shines there. There is so much sin and degradation, but I love being there because every place I turn, there are people who are lost and on their way to hell who need to know of the redeeming love of Jesus. That song, we, I just broke down and started crying. Everyone needs compassion. Blacks and Latinos and Asians and whites and every race and every color of every kind needs the compassion and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. Amen? We all need that, and yet so often we forget that. So often we as individuals, as Christ followers, make impulsive decisions and commitments to God without ever really thinking about and considering the cost to carry out those decisions. I remember this one time talking to a guy in our church and he said, Pastor Andy, he goes, I I made this promise to God. I told God if he would do this for me, that I, here's what I was going to do. I was going to give my life totally to him and and I wasn't going to play no more. And I was like, oh yeah, I've heard this a few hundred times over the years. And so, you know what God did? God answered prayer. God really answered his prayer and blessed him. And he told me, I said, uh, so what's your part of the bargain now? I, I said, we, we talked about it. He's like, oh, oh, all of a sudden he started backpedaling. And he started making excuses and reasons why he could not keep the commitment that he made to God. I said, don't play God for a fool, fool. And he looked at me. I said, you're playing the fool. You told God, God, if you would do this, that I would do this. And I said, God blessed you, and you did not fulfill your part. You're walking on dangerous territory because God don't play. And I hear this excuse all the time. I'm only human. Lame excuse. 
And He's only God. And He requires that we be holy. Amen? And that we walk in obedience and faithfulness to Him. He's only God. Yes, I'm only human. But that does not give me an excuse. Amen? And so often people make these commitments and decisions. We have a Christianity in the West that is very, very repulsive to the rest of the world. It is unbelievable. Because of our greed, our selfishness, and immorality, a lot, a lot of the world outside of America and the West looks at us as, that's Christian America? Because Christian America pumps out more immorality, more perversion than any nation in the world. That's Christian? If that's Christian, I don't want it. And that's the way the world looks at us is in the, around the Western world. This country, and many of you know this, this country was founded as a place to flee the persecution and suffering that many, many were experiencing in Europe back in the 14s and 1500s when Christopher Columbus uh, came over and discovered America. And, and you can look at the founding fathers all the way through. They sought peace and comfort. But there's something we notice. If you look at the book of Judges alone, seven times in the book of Judges, God blessed his people. The people of God found peace and comfort. Then they began to find prosperity, and that prosperity turned to greed, and that greed ultimately brought bondage. Seven different times you find that cycle in the book of Judges alone. Now you look at the whole Old Testament. The 70-year Babylonian captivity, and you go through, you see that same cycle. That often, God's peace and blessing, literally, if taken for granted, turns out to our own destruction. Amen? And it often happens over and over again. That greed led to idolatry, idolatry led to apathy, and that apathy will lead to bondage. Why was America blessed in the beginning? Because America was committed to be a place to evangelize the world. In fact, it's even said that Christopher Columbus, when he came here, said that he believed that God allowed him to discover America as a place to evangelize the pagan world. In fact, Christopher Columbus's name, Christopher, literally means Christ-bearer. In the Greek, it's Christo. Pharaoh, Christ-bearer, Christopher, was a Christ-bearer. He believed that God had raised him up back in the 1400s to be a bearer of Christ to the world. And if you read a lot of the early documents of our country, these men believed that God was causing them to create a nation that could be used to evangelize the world. They never lost their primary purpose for existence. Amen? That they really understood. But many of us as Christians have lost sight of our primary mission and purpose in life, which is to evangelize our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Our country has lost its way because we have lost our way. It was Tony Evans who wrote a book that said this, and he was right. At first, I got angry with it when I saw the title. The problem with America is what? Anybody ever read the book? Christians. And I was like, oh, I, I don't like that. Then I started reading the book. I said, oh, Tony, you're right. The problem with America, all of our social it is because of us Christians. We have wavered and we have danced around the word of God. The word of God doesn't change, amen? Truth is truth, and we need to be loving. We need to speak the truth in love and compassion, but we need to confront the world in their sin. And let them know there's a way, a God way, amen? Many times throughout the um, New Testament epistles, you see Jesus often tried to discourage people from following him unless they understood and were willing to do what he had commanded them to do. Many times he did that. Everything that Jesus said was to communicate to a crowd the, the seriousness of following him. He often communicated the cost and expectations for following him. And when he did, many people were offended and stopped following him. In fact, you go to John chapter 6, many of you know the story. Jesus tells them that I am, well, that was a blasphemy right there. When the, when the Pharisees heard him say, I am the bread of life, they flipped out. Why? To use the word I am 
which referred to Yahweh, he was equating himself to God, and the Pharisees went bonkers. And he said, I am the bread of life, and if you partake of me, you'll have eternal life. Well, they went nuts. And so Jesus was communicating to the crowd in John chapter 6, and 60 through 62, and Jesus laid this out, and the Bible says this, and the crowd turned and walked away. It was too difficult for them to hear that if you're going to follow me, here's the cost. And then remember, Jesus then, Peter's the one who speaks up, and Peter said, Lord, what you're saying is a hard saying. Uh, um, and Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you, you also want to go with the rest of the crowd? Go with the crowd. And Peter, I love Peter's response. Lord, where shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And yet you saw when Jesus laid it on the line of what it took to follow him, the crowds, one by one, they left. Hey, it isn't this easy believism Christianity we have in our culture. Oh, just believe in Jesus and you can cope. continue to go live your life of hell. Uh-uh. When you follow Jesus, you commit your heart, your life, your soul, everything to him. It's not Jesus on Sunday and hell Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I come back for Jesus on Sunday again. No, no. It's all or nothing with God, Amen. And yet so often the gospel is watered down and twisted and perverted, and we don't like to hear it laid out as it is. Now, in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew tells how great multitudes were following Jesus. There was great cows were following him. He tells the story. Thanks, Anthony, you read my mind, bro. Ah. That saved the day. <clears throat> and Jesus, and Matthew tells the story about a centurion whose servant was paralyzed, and he came to Jesus for help. I, I love this text in John chapter 8, because he comes to Jesus, and he tells him about his servant. And Jesus said, I will come to your house. And the servant, I love this, the servant steps back, and he said, no. Wait, wait a minute. Jesus just told you he'll come to your house and... And take care of And the centurion said, no, I want you to know something about centurion. He was not a Jew. All right? He was a pagan. He was a Gentile. And so he comes to Jesus, tells him the story, and Jesus said, well, I'll come to your house. And Jesus said, and then he says, no, Lord. If you would just do this one thing, if you would just but speak the word, I know that he could be healed. And Jesus steps back. Jesus was kind of amazed. And he stepped back and he said, whoa, so great a faith I've not even found in Israel. And Jesus said, go. What you believe is done. And you read the story throughout the gospel. And they left him. The centurion's servants run to him and say, hey, your servant is okay. And I love the one text where he says that. See, the centurion asks his servant, at what hour did he get better? And he says, this time. And the centurion said, that's exactly when Jesus spoke the word. And he was amazed. Now, Jesus is doing these phenomenal things. And, and, and the crowd is seeing this. And his disciples are seeing this. And, and they're moved by that. And yet, th this, here's a man who's not only under authority, but he was a centurion. So he had authority over many. And he said to Jesus, I tell this guy, go here, do this, do this, they go, and it's done. And Jesus is like, hmm, he understands the authority. This man must have really believed that Jesus is who he said he was, which was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And if he spoke the word, it's done. And it happened. And he was made. So the crowd saw this going on. They were moved by this. They, they never seen nothing like this. And Jesus used this uh, situation as an illustration of this, of what genuine faith really is. Let me tell you this. Genuine faith always, listen, always results in obedience to the Word of God. If you are genuinely trusting faith, have, trusting Christ for your salvation, you don't live a life of disobedience. You live a life of obedience and commitment to Christ. Amen? You do. 
Genuine salvation results in obedience to the word of God. And he uses this illustration to teach them. Then Jesus makes a point that would be very offensive and would anger the crowd, since almost all of them were Jewish. He said that, I love this. You can see this in the text in chapter 8. This is all a backdrop until I get into text. I haven't got the text yet. And here, he, he says this, and he said, oh, I am so amazed. He said, for many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you, you Israelites, won't even make it. Oh, let me tell you, the Pharisees and the Jews got irate. Who are you to say that the Gentiles will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we, those of the kingdom or the family of God, the Jews, won't make it? That angered them. That blew them away. And then we're going to get into our text now. Look at verse 18 and following. And when Jesus saw, saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. But a certain scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. She said, Really? Let me give you something to think about then. And the first thing that we want to, there's three things I want to look at this morning. Number one is this. Number one is his thoughtless commitment. He made a thoughtless commitment. And many times you and I make commitments to God that we don't really think about. But he made a thoughtless commitment. Second thing that we want to see in the text is this. The sobering truth. And Jesus lays on him a sobering truth that rattled his cage. And then the third thing we want to look at this morning is what the cost is of following Jesus. Now look at ch chapter 80. So the scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Really? Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not even have a place to lay his head. Whoa. What Jesus was saying is this. I am the Son of the living God, and I live as a homeless man. Do you know if Jesus was here to, to, today that many, of, many churches would, would not accept him in because he's homeless? There are many churches I know of that won't even let a homeless man walk in the front door. Or somebody that's poor and needy or messed up and broken. Oh, we don't want them people in our church. Uh, excuse me, Jesus was one of them people. Whoa. Jesus, have you considered the thought? Foxes have holes and birds have But I, the Son of Man, do not even have a place to lay my head. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to forsake everything to follow me? I love this, though. I love the response here. Look, let's keep going in the text there. Then another one of his disciples said, Lord, here, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. But you, you follow me. Wow. The young man impulsively and thought, thoughtlessly made a commitment to follow Jesus without ever thinking about or asking what it would take to follow Jesus. If you would, you'll notice this man makes this commitment, and it really, it's a thoughtless commitment. Because Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. You'll follow me wherever I, I go, and I don't have a place to live. I'm a homeless man, and you're going to forsake everything to be like me? Are you really? Uh, well, uh, let me think about that, Jesus. I, I, I yeah, you made a thoughtless commitment. And so often, we make thoughtless commitments to God. And it's a dangerous thing to do that. Amen? To make thoughtless commitments to God. Turn with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. The Word of God supports us all the way through, Old and New Testament. But Ecclesiastes 5, 1 says, Walk prudently when you go and you draw near to the house of God. Draw near to hear the Word of God. 
rather than give the sacrifice of fools. Now the question we're going to have to ask here is what is this sacrifice of fools that he's talking about? Let's follow the text. He'll tell us. Draw near to hear rather than give the sacrifice of fools. Why? For they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash or impulsive with your mouth. And do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. Why? For God is in heaven. And you, you're on the earth. Therefore let your words be very few. For a dream comes through much activity. But a fool's voice is known by his many thoughtless words. But then he says this. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill the vow. Why? For God has no pleasure in fools. A fool is a man who makes a thoughtless commitment to God and doesn't carry out the commitment to God that he has made. The Bible calls him a fool. Don't let your mouth, look what he says. Better not to vow and make a commitment to God than to make a vow and commitment to God and not pay it or fulfill it. Do not let your mouth be rash and cause your flesh to sin. Nor say before the message of God, Oh, ah, uh, ah, uh, here comes the excuse. It was an error. I made a commitment to God. But, 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 but what? I'm human. So what? He's God. Do not delay in fulfilling your commitment. Every one of us in this room have made commitments to God that we have not fulfilled. God, I will serve you here. I will give here. I will help here. If you, God, if you'll take care of this for me, I, I, I will have time and money and energy to do this. And we don't fulfill our commitments. Scripture is very clear. If you make a vow to God, do not delay in keeping that vow. Amen? Jesus left no questions to his statement in Matthew chapter 8. When he says to the young man, have you thought about the reality that I'm a homeless man and that I have no place to lay my head and you, you're willing to give up all of that to follow me? If you are, fine. If you're not, not, don't open your mouth. So often we as Christians make commitments to God because we're trying, uh, and I've seen this happen, trying to impress other people. I'm going to make this commitment. People think I'm really spiritual. And then when those people are around, we don't keep our commitment. God says, you're a fool. You're a fool. So the first thing we see in this text is the thoughtless commitment that this young man made to Jesus. And so often we make those same things. What, but if you look at the text, what led this young man to make the thoughtless commitment to God? I'll tell you what it was. Read, read the first 17 verses. He saw Jesus do all these miracles, and he was so wowed by what Jesus did that he made this commitment without really thinking of what it's going to cost me to follow Jesus. If Jesus gave it all, then I might have to give it all to follow him. He didn't think about that. He was so wowed by a centurion's servant being healed, and then he goes into Peter's mother-in-law, and he raises her up from her sickness, and, and he, he sees this thing, and he was so wild, he was so emotionally charged by what Jesus did that he made this thoughtless commitment. And many times we, and let me just say this, it is dangerous for us to make commitments to God that are based upon emotion and feeling. That's dangerous. We need to think about the commitments and the vows and the, the things that we say, God, I have surrendered this to you. I will fulfill this vow. We need, we need to sometimes set, set the emotion aside and really think about it and say, God, from my heart, I'm going to give my all to you. Now, the second thing we see in this text is a sobering commitment. He said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And here's a sobering statement Jesus said. Jesus responds, to his thoughtless statement with a sobering truth and reality. And here's what it is. He said, oh, will you? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But I, the son of the living God who created the universe, Colossians 1 says, don't even have a place to lay my head. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the cost of following Jesus? 
Not a young man is in a backpedal, probably without question, backpedaling. I'll never forget when I was younger in ministry, probably the first five years, and I, I was uh, so discouraged in Chicago because here I go, I move into the hood, into the ghetto, whatever you want to call it, and I'm busting my tail. I'm loving people. I'm, I witness everywhere I go. I'm a little bit lunatic. I just got to tell people about Jesus. Black people, white people, Spanish people, Asian. I mean, I don't care. If you, if you walk, you got a soul, I'm going to talk to you. And here I am, I'm busting my tail, and the church is not going anywhere. I mean, we've got 25, 50 people. And I went down to Liberty to visit, um, and I saw one of my teachers, Dr. Uh, Mitchell. He was a theology teacher. And I went in, and he asked me, Andy, how's everything going in Chicago? And I sat there in his, in his office, and I, and, I, and I just, I was so discouraged, and I just started crying. I said, Doc, I want to quit. He's like, why? I said, man... I give and I give and I give and I share the gospel. I've done, and people just don't respond. I'm discouraged. I want to leave. And I'll never forget. Here's what he said to me that really was a turning point in my ministry. And I said, and so he's like, Andy, don't give up. I said, why? He goes, I want you to know. He's a, he was a prophet at Liberty University where Roy went and I went, my wife and his wife. And, and so... He said, I want you to know something. He goes, I'm a professor. I'm here at Liberty. I make good money. I'm in a great school uh, in a wonderful town. So, I mean, it's a Christian town, Lynchburg. I'd say the majority of his believers. I mean, there's so many churches in Lynchburg. How about it, Roy? Hundreds and hundreds in this little town. And I'm like, he said, but I, well, let me tell you this. If Jesus today was here, he would not be with me here in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, if Jesus was here today, he said he would be with you. I said, why? He goes, because Jesus loved the city. Jesus cares about the poor, the needy, the broken. He goes, he wouldn't be at Liberty University. He said, be honest with you, Jesus probably wouldn't be accepted at Liberty University. And I was like, what? He, he said, remember, Jesus was a homeless man. He was a street man. He, he would not be accepted in most of the churches in Lynchburg, Virginia. Well, I, that hit me. I was like, he said, don't you give up. He goes, you, you go back to that inner city, and you just keep loving Jesus, and, and you keep sharing the gospel. God's going to save people. Don't you worry about it. You be faithful. Let me tell you, that changed my life. That little 10-minute conversation just changed my life. I was like, I'm ready to go charge hell with a squirt gun. Let's go. I mean, that's where Jesus would be. Jesus would be with me, man. He'd be hanging with me in the hood. That would be cool. Because I, as, as I read the scripture, scripture like, like this, Luke 14 says, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the blind and the whole that my house may be filled. That was the master of the house and the master is who? God. It was God who commanded him to go out and reach the poor, the needy, the broken, and the hurting. And then the master, the servant comes back and says, Lord, we have done it, verse 23. And the Lord said, Now go out to the highways and the hedges, and just compel them to come in. In verse 21, he says, go to the streets of the alley of the city and bring them in. Grab them. Bring them into my house and it may be filled. And if you've done that, then go out to the hedges and highways and compel them. Read it. Luke chapter 14, verse 20 through 26. Well, read the whole text. Powerful. It might scare you. Seriously. It's intense. God has a heart for the disenfranchised, the broken, and the hurting. Let me tell you, you might be in Huron, South Dakota, that is predominantly white, but I've been here for three or four days, and I see a lot of people that are poor, needy, and a different color than y'all. And they all need Jesus. And if no other church in this city reaches them, I hope you will! And I hope you don't give up and get discouraged. And some of you might be discouraged because you say, well, we've done Hope for the Hood for the last three, four years, and, and we, we don't have people of color here yet. Don't give up! 
We've been doing hope for the hood. <coughs> for about 24 years. And it took about 20 years before we started seeing people get saved from hope for the hood and come to church. You can't give up. Do not be weary in well-doing, for in due time you shall reap if you faint not. Amen? It's the cost of following Jesus. Jesus said to this young man, if you're going to follow me, here's the sobering truth. You may have to give up everything to follow me. But I love the response of the young man. Lord, let, and here's the, here's the American problem. He, he was just like us. He said, Lord, let me first. Let me first do what? Let me first go and bury my father. And I love Jesus' response. Uh-uh. Let the dead bury today. You follow me. And for you and I to follow Jesus, it's going to take a sacrifice. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take a lot of things that we're not used to. We might feel very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable when it comes to following Jesus according to his word. Amen? But he tells us to follow him. Give it all to him. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to begin looking at the cost of discipleship. What, what does it really take to follow Jesus? Most of us know Matthew chapter 16, 18, where Jesus said, uh, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. We, most of us know that. But in four, 24 through 38, look what he says here. I want to start a little bit earlier. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Now this is Peter, hoof and mouth Peter. He always puts his foot in his mouth. And he takes Jesus aside because Jesus said, Peter, I want you to know I'm going to die. And Peter takes Jesus aside, and Jesus has the gall to rebuke Jesus. That's pretty bold. But Peter did that quite often, hoof and mouth disease. And he pulls Jesus aside, and he begins to rebuke him. Look what he goes on to say here. Peter took him aside, verse 2, and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this thing that you have said that you're going to die shall not happen. But look, Jesus turned to Peter and said, he just looked Peter right in the eye. He said, get behind me.
<laughs> we cool. All right. Let's get a little hot in here. Or it's just me, I know. He said, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let's stop right there. Let him deny himself. It sounds like Jesus is encouraging them, saying, if you're going to come after me, let him deny himself. Bad translation. In the original language, the word let him deny is not a subjunctive. A subjunctive verb in the original language is more of an exhortation or an encouragement to do something. This verb is not a subjunctive. It is an imperative of command. And here's what he's saying. Let me, let me interpret it correctly, translate it correctly from the Greek. If any man desires to come after me, he must deny himself. Whoa. That's a little bit stronger, isn't it, than, well, let him deny himself. Oh, no, no. Jesus said, I'm not giving you an option here. If you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself. Next verb, take up your cross. Guess what verb that is? It's another imperative of command. In other words, you must take up your cross. When you, you took up your cross, you were saying, I'm about to die. And when he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross, you, in order to follow Jesus, he's not asking us to die on the cross right now, okay? What he's asking us to do, to die to our selfish desires, our self-centeredness, our pride, our arrogance. Let you, you deny yourself of all of your selfish, self-centered desires in this life. And he says, follow me. Guess what the third word follow is? It's another imperative command. He's not encouraging them to do it. He's commanding them to do it. That is contingent upon the first word in the text. If a man desires to come after me. Whoa. That's a little bit more harsh. Yeah, it is. And so what Jesus is saying, if any man, if any man desires to come after me, he must deny himself. He must Take up his cross, and he must follow after me. Whoa. There are three prerequisites that we see here in following Jesus. And we just looked at them, the three imperatives. He must deny himself, he must take up his cross, and he must follow hard. The word follow means to literally to press after. The idea is not just like following Jesus from distance, like, yo, Jesus, what's up, dude? No, it's you're, you're, you're giving all of your energies to press and following after him. That kind of Christianity a lot of people don't like because it's tough, but it's right, and it's biblical to the core. Now, if you don't believe in the errancy of Scripture and the infallibility of the Word of God, you can twist that Bible and make anything you want it to say, but it's wrong, because the Word of God doesn't change, amen? It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word shall not pass away, amen? Yes, no, are we all, we, 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 yeah? Yeah, I hope so. Here's the thing, though. If we're going to follow after Jesus, we've got to be, be people of His Word. We've got to be in His Word. God reveals his will through his word where he gives us wisdom to do his work. I talk to people all the time, so I want to know the will of God, and I'll ask them, are you in the word of God? No, I'm saying you'll never find it then. Well, I pray that's not sufficient. God reveals his will in his word. If you're not in his word, he's not going to speak to you. Unless you're all emotional, you're feely-gooly, that's the kind of Christianity you have, then who knows what you get. No, it's the Word of God. We need the Word of God every day. How many of you eat every day? Come on. You do? Why? If you don't need the Word of God every day, why do you need food every day? It's a, we've got to have the Word. In Word, in prayer, seeking the face of God, 
God begins to reveal and unfold his will to us. And many Christians don't know the will of God because they're not in the word of God. They're not seeking the wisdom of God. They don't understand the work of God and the ways of God. But it's in his word. Amen? And look what he goes on to say here. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus said, oh, he will save it. In other words, if you desire to protect your life and prolong your life out of selfish and sinful motives, Jesus said, you're going to lose it. Why? God already knows our sinful heart, y'all. If you're doing everything you can to protect and prolong your life, your motive's wrong. What Roy said was true. You can be in the worst place in the world than the will of God and be the safest place in the world. You can be in a beautiful place in the world and outside the will of God, it's the most dangerous place in the world for you. And yet we as Americans especially, we do everything we can to protect and prolong our lives. Why? So we can indulge in more sinful delights. We don't want to admit that or say that, but we do. Jesus said, if you desire to save your life, to hold on to it, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to just expend your life for my sake, oh, you'll hold on to it. Jim Elliott said it best. Most of you know this. He is no fool to do what? Anybody know what I'm saying? He is no fool to lose what he cannot keep and to gain what he cannot lose. Here's the reality. I cannot keep my physical life. That is in the hands of God. The psalmist said, my days are numbered. Woohoo! Try to prolong all we want. Our days are numbered. And only God knows. But what he says is this. He is no fool to lose what he cannot keep. You and I cannot keep and hold on to our physical life. But to gain what he cannot lose, I cannot lose my eternal life. <laughs> that don't get you excited? It gets me really excited. I'm going to lose my life. Amen? Every one of us are. But do you have something in you that you can never lose? We need to learn to live recklessly abandoned to the will in the heart of God. We, by nature, are so selfish, so carnal, so self-centered. If our Christianity doesn't revolve around us, we don't want it. We moan, we groan, we complain, we criticize, we judge, because it's not going my way. Wait a minute. There's a, I think the Bible still says... For you were bought with a price. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Whoa. I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. I am not my own. So therefore, I should live every day of my life to glorify him in everything that I do. If I get along with it, stop me. My heart is just un is broken over so much Christianity I see in our country today. So you can yell at me whenever you want me to stop. But Jesus says, if you are willing to lose your life in faithfully doing the will of God, oh, you will, you will save it. But I love the next part of the verse. Look what he says. And he asks this question. What benefit is it to you if you gain everything the world has to offer you and you lose your own soul. Whoa. Jesus, if any man desire, desires to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross. He must press hard after me. Then he asks a question for him to think about. I love this. What profit is to a man if he gains everything the world tells him is going to make him happy. And you lose your own soul. 
See, the world tells us if we drive a certain kind of car, if we have a certain kind of house, if we have these clothes and shoes and, and drugs, if I drink this certain kind of beer, then I'm going to be happy. No, we ain't going to be happy. We're just going to be trying to fill this emptiness of our soul, the hole in the soul we have. What benefit, Jesus said, if you have everything said will make you happy and you lose your soul for eternity? So what's the benefit? Somebody answer me. None. There was no benefit to my life if I live my life for the things of this world and I die and I spend eternity separated from God in hell. There's been no benefit to my life whatsoever. Bill Gates is a big name. Bill Gates is nothing before a holy God. He ain't going to be remembered for nothing. He is in this world, but not in the next. You know who's going to have the big names? Peter, James, Paul, y'all. Not President Barack Obama. Not Louis Gutierrez. Not all these big, famous, hobnobbing people. Those who love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he asks this question. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Then he asks this question. Or, hmm, this is even tougher. Or what will a man give in exchange for your soul? Are you willing to idolize your new car and exchange that for your eternal soul in hell? Or the opportunity of having eternity in heaven? Well, how did you put it that way? Well, how about that boat? Or that car? Or all that money you have in the bank? Or all these things that you have. Are you willing to exchange your soul for earthly material possessions? Now, is there anything wrong with things? Don't think I'm busting if you have something. That's not what I'm doing. No. There's nothing wrong with having things as long as things don't have you. Amen? You and I should have the attitude that all that I have is His. And I want to use it for his glory. And if he tells me to do this, I'm going to give it up in a minute. That should be the attitude and heart, amen, of a true Christ follower. So what profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And then in verse 27 he says this. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of the Father with his holy angels. And then look at this. And then, and only then, will he reward each one according to to his works. How faithful are you and I in giving out the life-changing message of Jesus to a lost world? I went to, I went to the county fair, state fair, this week. Eugene and I came up to do that because he never did that. I got you. And uh, um, I don't know anybody here, but I've probably invited six or eight people to church. Anybody here from the fair this week? I invited, I invited a lot of people to church. Well, every place I go, I got to tell people about Jesus. I go to the fair and see everybody getting drunk and inebriated and all this. I'm like, man, people need Jesus. I walk around the fair and see all these people. Most people, just, it grieves my heart. I'm seeing all these lost people. And then when I see some Christians like I did yesterday, it's cool. There's instant fellowship. But I'm looking, the majority of these people are lost. And we don't. Care. I saw all these Latino kids there and families in the Karen, and, and I've seen a lot of blacks there as well as whites. And I'm like, people are going to die without Jesus. And what are we doing? We're titillating our senses with the stuff of this world instead of living radically devoted to Jesus. He wants us to be radically devoted to Him. He wants to, to take what he has blessed us with, and use it for eternal purposes. Amen? Do you know that God has an eternal purpose for this world that is greater than you and I will ever know? And he wants to use every one of us in that eternal purpose and plan of his if we will but surrender our heart, our soul, our everything to him. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give it all up
a thoughtless commitment the young man made. Jesus lays out a sobering truth that if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. And then Jesus lays out the cost in Matthew 16. You want a desire to follow me? I got three commands for you. You must deny yourself. Deny those sinful, carnal, selfish desires and say, God, I'm putting you first, not my fleshly cravings. Take up your cross. Are you willing to die for the cause of Jesus to make his gospel known to the world? We have a, a crazy mission statement at our church. It's our mission statement as a church. I've had visitors come, and they've read our mission statement. They said, you're a lunatic. I'm like, why? They said, have you read your mission statement? I said, yeah, I kind of wrote it. He said, where'd you get it? I said, from the Bible. That usually works. And our mission statement says this, to transform our world or our community into spiritually mature, radically devoted followers of Jesus of all nationalities, black, white, Latino, Asian, all nationalities, who are willing to serve God and to die for his cause. And a visitor came to me one day, he said, you're cra crazy. You, you're asking your people to be willing to die for Jesus? I said, yeah, it's in the Bible, read it sometime. He was like, I said, I'm not being sarcastic, I'm being real. Jesus said, if you're not willing to be, die for me, you're not worthy of me. Ooh, that hurt. He's like, dude. And I didn't know this, he was a visitor. He said, I'm writing a book. He goes, can I take your mission statement? And put it in my book. He goes, that is unbelievable. I've never seen a mission statement of any church. Call, calling their people to be willing to die for Christ. He said, are you willing? I said, I'm willing. I said, do I want to die? No. But we live in the hood. I could die. Gene could die. Any of our people could die because of where we live. But, you know, we're willing but we're willing to do it for Jesus, not for ourselves, not for fame, not for popularity, not for none of that stuff, for Jesus. So let me ask you, are you willing? Let us bow for a word of prayer. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesda M b.org that's bethesda m as in mary b as in boy.org or check us out on facebook by searching for bethesda church of huron have a blessed day